Let us pray. Father, we give you great thanks this day as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because truly he has freed us from sin's dark prison by his death and resurrection. All glory be to you, O Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning, everyone. And happy Easter to you. It is so good to see all of you here in person and um, some folks we haven't seen in a while out on Easter as we get through this COVID thing. And welcome to all of you who may be first-time guests here at All Saints Church. We're so glad that you've joined us. And good morning and happy Easter to everyone watching via the live stream as well. So glad that you've tuned in and we love you and we miss you so very much. It's been a wonderful week here at our church, a busy week. I'm looking forward to propping my feet up tomorrow for a while, but it has been an absolutely wonderful week, and I'll share more about that at the announcement time, but so many good and God things that took place this week. There's so much that we read of in today's gospel from St. Mark that is familiar to most of us, and this quite frankly should be the case. Because the death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central event, the pivotal moment of all of time and history. St. Mark's account of the resurrection is the most brief of the four Gospels. Mark describes, as we heard read by Deacon Julie just a few moments ago, the women going to the tomb. Specifically mentioned are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. These women were followers of Jesus. They were counted among his disciples. And their lives had been profoundly impacted by Jesus. Luke chapter 8 verse 2 tells us that seven demons had gone out of Mary Magdalene. Jesus had touched and transformed their lives. All of their hopes rested in him. Then from their limited frame of human reference, things seem to, to spin out of control as they saw Jesus betrayed by one of his own, one from his inner circle. They saw him arrested, convicted in a sham trial. They saw him mocked and tortured. And they watched him die on the cross. Yes, they were there. Each of these women was present at his crucifixion. Mark 15 verse 40 tells us there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses, and Salome. And now early on Sunday morning they set out for Jesus' tomb to anoint his body with costly spices. In other words, they wanted to give this one they loved and to whom they owed so very much a proper burial, according to the customs of their day and culture. But to their alarm and amazement, they discover that Jesus' body is not there. And it is announced to them that he is risen. Imagine their shock, their fear, as Mark alludes to in verse 8, their confusion, their wonder. 
And all of these things simultaneously, all of these things going on inside of them all at once. How overwhelming this must have been for them. And certainly in that moment, neither they nor any of the disciples could have been fully able to grasp the importance and the magnitude of what had transpired during the past week and what in God's eternal plan was continuing to to unfold in that very moment as they became the first eyewitnesses to the reality of Christ's resurrection. These are all things which would take some time for them to fully grasp. And it would take God continuing to illumine their hearts and minds regarding all that this meant, not only for them, but for all of humanity. Now, jump forward with me for a moment, both in the Bible, but also in time to today's New Testament reading from Acts chapter 10. By this time, these believers who had been witnesses to Jesus' earthly ministry, to his miracles and teaching, those who had witnessed his passion and death, and then were witnesses to his resurrection, by this time in Acts 10, they had a much clearer and fuller comprehension of all that Christ's death and resurrection had meant, both for them and again, for, for all people. So in Acts chapter 10, we find Peter, one of those witnesses, visiting the household of Cornelius, a group of Gentiles, and expounding to them the fullness of the gospel, what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means. And Peter's Holy Spirit anointed words here speak of the meaning of these things not only to Cornelius, but also to every single one of us right here, right now in April of 2021. And I want to highlight several key things that God's word says to you and me here. The things given here reflect the very essence, the heart of God's message to us in and through Jesus Christ. And they are made possible for us only through his sacrificial death and through his glorious resurrection. So what is the heart of God's message for us in Jesus Christ as we find it here in Acts chapter 10? Well, the first thing is this. God shows no partiality. Look at verses 34 and 35 with me. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Ponder that for a moment. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God calls to us and offers to us the possibility of genuine relationship with him. And in continuity with all of scripture, both the Old and the New Testaments, in one sentence, Peter sweeps away the human, racial, and religious prejudices of centuries and stands them on their head. And he proclaims to them and to us the heart and the character of God. 
In this world, people are treated favorably or disfavorably because of every kind, every kind of sinful human prejudice. Because of being wealthy or poor, because you're a woman or a man, because of family background, because of race, ethnicity, nation or place of birth, because of physical or cognitive challenges, because of the kind of work you do or I do. And the list is endless. I could go on and on and on. There's a story that was recently published in Christianity Today from a number of years ago about a Chicago bank that had an applicant, a young Bostonian who was working for an investment house in Boston, was applying for a job with this bank in Chicago. The investment house where he worked sent a letter of reference to the bank in Chicago, and they wrote about this young man's family lineage, about his father, about his mother, and what families they were descended from. And and in a sense, he had this lineage that was connected to all the well-heeled Blue Book families in Boston. And they gave recommendation to this bank in Chicago without hesitation. But several days later, Chicago banks had a known back saying that the information supplied by the brokerage was altogether inadequate. And it read this. We are not contemplating using this young man for breeding purposes, just for work. (laughs) Neither is God a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what our human earthly lineage is, but he accepts those from, from every family, nation, and race who fear him. Bishop N.T. Wright says it this way, talking about not just the eternal ramifications, but the temporal ramifications right here on earth. <clears throat> the message of the resurrection is that this world matters that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world, news which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world of injustice, where violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things, and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. Brothers and sisters, the great and awesome news is this. God doesn't play favorites. That means in terms of those who can come to the foot of the cross and enter into living relationship with him. And God calls us as the people of God not to play favorites as we minister to the world around us, but to overcome these sinful patterns that we see around us in the world and prejudices and hatreds and divisions that are not of God, but of the flesh and the world. Sometimes people would ask, what about Old Testament Israel? Weren't they favored? Wasn't there prejudice in a sense on the Almighty's part with regard to them? Well, first of all, we have to remember that they did not earn God's favor. It was by grace. 
But beyond that, as I heard John Stott say one time in a sermon, we need to remember and understand that God setting apart Israel, that God setting apart Abraham's descendants, and the exclusivity that we see there in Scripture was not simply for the purpose of exclusivity, but it was for the purpose that then, by preserving the lineage through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come into the world, through that exclusivity, God would ultimately include all in his fold. That is why God set Israel apart. I, Howard Marshall, in his commentary on the book of Acts, says this about acceptability to God. A good life is only acceptable in God's sight when it leads to a recognition of its own inadequacy and to acceptance of the gospel. In St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, we're reminded, but to all who did receive him, referring to Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To everyone who did, who does, received him, who believes in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, born of God. That is God's promise to you and me regardless of your background, regardless of your lineage, regardless of what has happened in your past, the foot is level at the cross. And God is there, arms open wide through the sacrifice of Jesus, calling to us, come into relationship with me. The second part of God's message, the heart of God's message to us that we see in Acts 10 is this. God offers us his peace. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he spoke these words to the apostles. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Peter talks about this in verses 36 through 37 of Acts chapter 10. The peace that God offers to you and me begins with the end of of enmity and strife between us and God. And through embracing the gospel, we are translated into a new and living relationship with God. And there is a cessation of hostility between me and God, between you and God. And this is a work of God's grace through Christ's sacrifice. But this wonderful work of God's grace doesn't just stop there with the cessation because not only does strife abate and does enmity, enmity between us and God cease, God also fills the void, the absence of these things with his blessings. Blessings of new life, forgiveness, of purpose in Jesus Christ. And we are reconciled to God. Theologian James Edwards tells the story of in August 1957, four climbers, two Italians and two Germans, were climbing the 6,000-foot near vertical north, north face in the Swiss Alps. The two German climbers disappeared and were never heard from again. 
the two Italian climbers, exhausted and dying, were, struck on, were stuck on two narrow ledges a thousand feet below the summit. The Swiss Alpine Club had forbidden rescue attempts in this area. It was just too dangerous. But a small group of Swiss climbers decided to launch a private rescue effort to save these two Italians. So they carefully lowered a climber named Alfred Hellenport down the 6,000-foot north face. They suspended Hellenport on a cable a fraction of an inch thick as they lowered him into this abyss. And here's how Hellenport described the rescue. As I was lowered down the summit, my comrades on top grew further and further distant until they disappeared from sight. At this moment, I felt an indescribable aloneness. Then for the first time, I peered down the abyss of the north face of the eager. The terror of the sight robbed me of breath. The brooding blackness of the face falling away in almost endless expanse beneath me made me look with awful longing to the thin cable disappearing about me in the mist. I was a tiny human being dangling in space between heaven and hell. The sole relief from terror was my mission to save the climber below. This is the heart of the story of the gospel. We were trapped, but in the person and presence of Jesus, God lowered himself into the abyss of our sin and suffering. In Jesus, God became a tiny human being in Heliport's words, dangling between heaven and hell. And he did it to save those people us, you and me, trapped below. The gospel tells us the story of God's risky, costly, sacrificial rescue effort on my behalf and on yours. The sacrificial death and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is God's rescue plan. Plan. On the cross, Jesus descended into our sin. And through faith in him, he raises us to new and eternal life with him. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 14 reminds us, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. God invites us into living relationship, intimate fellowship with him. And it's only found through the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Third and finally, the heart of God's message is that God will set you free. Look at verse 38 of Acts chapter 10 with me. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus is here to set us free. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean that all of our problems go away. And it doesn't somehow mean that we avoid all of the earthly consequences of wrong things we have done or sinful choices we have made. 
But in Jesus Christ, God offers us grace and forgiveness and healing and freedom and deliverance from all those things that may have bound us for years, even decades. And he offers each of us eternal life beginning right here, right now in this place on this day through the resurrected Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. John chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 remind us, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. As St. Peter concludes in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, receiving forgiveness of sin through his name. Everyone, everyone who believes in him, that everyone includes you and me. It includes all of us here today. The resurrection of Jesus is the pivot point of all of history. This is why we commemorate and declare it every Sunday through the reading of scriptures, through proclamation of the word in preaching, and through the Holy Eucharist, even as we say these words. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. I'm here to tell you this morning, no matter what your background no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you have done, God is not mad at you. God's heart is that you would receive forgiveness and life through Jesus Christ. And he stands arms open wide, just as Jesus stretched out his arms on the hard wood of the cross. And he calls to us and he invites us to relationship. He invites us to peace. He invites us to freedom and new life which is only found through Jesus Christ. And he invites us to that this very day. Let us pray. Father, we stand amazed at your great love for us and for all of humanity demonstrated through your son, Jesus Christ coming to earth in the flesh and hanging as we heard described a little while ago on that thin cord in a sense between heaven and hell on that cross of Calvary to die for us. And then you vindicated him by raising him from the dead three days later. Father, you accomplished all of this for us. So this day, Father, I pray that we would be reminded of the truth of your word that you are no respecter of persons, that whosoever will may come, and that we may continue coming to you time and time again as you transform us, as you make us into new creations through the power of the risen Jesus and the Holy Spirit which you poured out. Lord, bring us into that life today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.